Hi, everybody. My name is Fran Curry, and welcome to this edition of Eavesdrop. We're so glad you are joining us today. You can find us at iTunes, and you can also find us at BigBrainsMedia.com and Stitcher.com. want you to check us out and make sure when you are listening to the show, you go ahead and subscribe, so that way you will not miss any of the editions of Eavesdrop. Well, today I have a, a special and unique pleasure to interview someone that I work with on Eavesdrop, our producer, Mark Phillips, who has uh, an extraordinary history, uh, an extraordinary life in God, and also has lived the dream that many of us had, but uh, didn't have the talent to do it. How are you doing, Mark? Doing great, Fran. Good to be here with you. That's good. It's good to talk to you. Um, I'll start back when you were in the... Uh, is it appropriate to call it the rock music industry? Sure. Because I remember listening to you on yeah. the radio. Um, when the was, music biz. The music biz. So tell me how all that came about, that you did very well in the pop music industry. Well, you know, when I was a kid, back in the uh, mid to late 60s, so that kind of <laughs> gives my age away. But, uh, you know, I mean, the Beatles came to America, and hey, I wanted to be a Beatle. You know, yeah. I wanted to grow my hair out and play rock and roll, and... I saw all those screaming girls, you know. <laughs> I said, <laughs> "That did it. I can do that." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, the Lord has blessed me with an abundance of of musical talent. I think, and 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 I'm not saying that to pat myself on the back. I mean, it's just what He's gifted me to do, and and so therefore now, I, you know, I'm a songwriter, producer, and worship leader, and you know, singer songwriter play in a band and just do everything I can musically to kind of make a living. And now I've gotten into doing podcasts with uh, Big Brains Media, and, and uh, that's going great. And it's just, just still part of the audio, you know, format. And I just love what I do. That's really cool. And, and as I said in the beginning, you were able to do stuff that the rest of us only dreamed about, no matter how hard we try. Tell us how that was well, getting you know, into the music industry. Dream is a good word because that's exactly what it was. You yeah. know, like I said, when the Beatles came out, I, I, that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to be in a rock and roll band. So I started looking for guys in my neighborhood that might play. And I actually taught a neighbor down the street how to tune and play a bass because I couldn't <laughs> find a bass player. So I talked his parents into buying him an instrument and taught wow. him how to play. And uh, it didn't last long. I think he's a banker now. But, uh, you know, more, the more you get to know other musicians, the network kind of grows, right. and, and you know you begin to meet other people. And finally got a, a, in, in touch with a handful of guys that kind of thought the same way that I did and wanted the same things that I did out of the business. And, and so I uh, started uh, working with uh, you know, some guys, and we started writing songs, and, and we thought, hey, we need to figure out how this record deal Thing goes mm-hmm. because back then there was no such thing as iTunes. It was right. you had to have a major label deal in order to get distribution into the record stores and into the radio stations and to get airplay and right. all that stuff. And so it's not it wasn't as easy then as it is now to be an independent artist. You right. know, uh, so once we got a repertoire of songs together that we felt like was a deep enough catalog that somebody could say, okay, now we can do an album or now we can do a, a you know a halfway decent project Mm -hmm. with these guys and they've got enough depth to them and a big enough fan base and that took years to do i might uh, uh, say uh then then we started searching for you know hey come hear the band and 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 do you know this guy and how do we get in touch with this guy and 
how can we showcase for this label? And wow. so we started asking questions. And, you know, we just uh, went from there. And, I mean, we just kind of blindly went into it and did everything we knew possible to get attention. And uh, finally landed a record, a single record deal, not an album, just, really? just a 45, just a single record wow. deal with Mercury Records and recorded the song You'll Love Again, yeah. which was written about my parents' divorce. And, uh, you know, from there, we were hoping that Mercury would call for an album because we had, we had released it and it immediately charted on yeah. the Billboard charts and was rising. And they never did call for the album, you know, and it was just like really strange, you know, because mm-hmm. we were having moderate success right. and beginning to tour on our own kind of thing. And then one day, uh, the guy that was producing us, his name is Dane Eric, he uh, was on a plane and he was sitting next to Tony Scotty, who owned Scotty Records at the time. And and I guess he still does. I, I haven't kept, kept in touch with him, but they were just talking mm-hmm. and he was looking at a billboard and he said, I love this band. Do you, do you know anything about this band? I really like this right. song. Well, it just happened to be, he said, well, I'm the producer, cool. you know, and it was just, you know, out of the blue and just a strange coincidence. And he said, well, if they ever get out from under the Mercury contract, I want to talk to you because I'll sign them. Wow. Well, you know, we asked Mercury if they were going to call for the album. They said no. And then we said, well, we want to get out of the contract. And they said, okay, fine. That's incredible. So let us out of the contract. We signed with the Scotty Brothers, who in turn signed us to MCA Records. We thought that was going to be a, a really great thing, but it really kind of wound up to be a, a, a mess because it became easy for someone to pass the buck. Well, I thought they were going to take care of this. Well, I thought they were going to get this interview. Well, I thought they were going to handle the promotion on this project. Well, I thought, you know, it just became back and forth. And it was a disaster. And and come to find out, we were really signed to be a tax write-off for the most part. But in God's sovereignty, Mm -hmm. it really all happened the way it was supposed to happen. The day that we got dropped by the record company, we had a song on the charts called You've Got Another Thing Coming. We were on tour with Little River Band at the time. Little River Band was the number one band, not in the country, Mm -hmm. in the world. world, And Lonesome Loser was number one. And uh, we were the opening act for the number one band in the world. We were on tour and we were in the hotel room on a Saturday and I don't know if you remember or your listeners will remember the show American Bandstand with of Dick course. Clark. Yeah. But Dick Clark took it upon himself to play You've Got Another Thing Coming. Wow. He said, this is a brand new band from Birmingham, Alabama. I love this record. just want you guys to hear it. Let me know what you think. And he played the record on American Bandstand. That awesome. happened around 12, 1 o'clock mm-hmm. whenever it aired. 4 o'clock that afternoon, MCA dropped the band, dropped the record, dropped all promotion. I That's mean, you incredible. just got to throw up your hands and go, what's going on? Wow. And then wow. and then you come to find out it was all a tax write-off and they didn't they didn't want us to succeed. So in spite of our success, we failed because yeah. we had no support. I was going to say don't know if you failed. You were failed. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And on that same time frame, we were supposed to go to New York City and play Carnegie Hall with a little river band and then do the northern leg of their tour. They're from oh, Australia. Yeah. We're going to do the nor- northern leg of their tour and then go out to the West Coast, to L.A. And we needed $1,000 tour support to get to New York, and we couldn't get it from the record label. That's incredible. So, you know, <laughs> I, I, I just have to turn around and go, okay, God was in control. 
and I'm appointed to be here with you today. I mean, that's just the way I have to look at life. What did you think that day, though? What were your thoughts? Oh, you know, well, when Dick Clark played that record. It was huge. It was huge, and we thought, this is going to happen. I mean, we were jumping up and down, going, wow, Mm -hmm. we're going to make it. And then four hours later, it's over. That's incredible. <laughs> it That's was incredible. A, it was an unbelievable day. It was talk. You talk about riding a wave and then just like being in the trenches. It was you know all in a matter of about four hours. But, and then within two weeks, mm-hmm. Fran, to tell you how devastating that decision was, mm-hmm. within two weeks we went from playing fifteen thousand seat halls to two hundred seat nightclubs. Wow! In two weeks, I mean wow. the career was over, just like that. Did you want to try again? Did you want to go we after another label? We did try again. Uh, when, when Hotel, uh, the band Hotel, that's who I was with, when we paid off all of our debt, we didn't leave anybody hanging. We didn't go bankrupt. We put ourselves on a salary of $150 a week and just paid off managers, lawyers, record people, debts, you know, truck payments. <laughs> I mean, insurance, you just name it. This is not how most of us think that this will turn out. No, you you think of the music business as glamorous and and people getting rich, but it's... Being a groupie for Bon Jovi. It really puts a light on, uh, uh, you know, when you hear about the top 40 or the top 20 or the top 10. Yes. There's only 10, 20, 40 people getting attention at one time and the rest of us are scrambling. So, yeah, we paid everybody off and then I started a band called Split the Dark. I felt very confident in the songs. We were in the 80s at this point, and, and, you know, MTV was big. Mm -hmm. So we did a video, and then we wound up winning the MTV Basement Tape Awards. And we thought, man, this is great. We showcased for 15 labels and got turned down by all 15. Oh, dude. So (laughs) That hurts. at, At that point, I just said, you know, I don't have to be a Michael Jackson to be happy in this world. I don't have to be in the limelight to play music and love what I do. And God gave me that peace. And I really did quit chasing the pipe dream. I quit chasing the rainbow. I quit chasing the carrot. You know, I'm going to do what I do. And if people like it, people get to hear it fine. If not, I'm not going to worry about it. At that point, really became tired of touring all over the country and sleeping in Motel 6s and you know, getting up and being in a van with nine other guys. And, you know, after a while, it's just you don't know what town you're in. You don't know what hotel you're in. It doesn't matter if you're staying in a Hyatt or a Motel 6. It's just a bed and a bathroom, and that was it, you know. So now I'm doing exactly what I want to do, and I love it. I'm not rich, and I'm not making a bunch of money, but, hey, there's a lot of people who get up every day and go to their work and go to their job, and they hate it. Amen. But I love what I do. That's awesome. That's the greatest gift yes, I have discovered. I agree. Having come from that area of hating my job. Yeah. So what you do is, is a good thing. So how did your, your family take it? Tell me about your family. Tell me about your wife and, and everything as you went through this process. Well, you know, being a rock and roll guy and having a family don't always mix too well. So uh, I didn't have a real good family life during that time frame. Uh, made some bad choices, made some bad decisions in my life, and and uh, wound up costing me a lot. You know, the price you pay for success is a major, major price. When you're chasing that dream and and you're trying to get in the public eye and live that rock star lifestyle and and have that type of reputation and attitude, it doesn't always mix well with family life. You're gone a lot. The attention and the focus 
becomes inward and you you focus on yourself and I want this and I need this and this is what I've been working for and it's me, 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 and everybody else just kind of takes a back burner. If I have any regrets in life, it's some of those early decisions that I made that cost me greatly. Mm-hmm. You know, I think uh, as a believer and when you have a Savior who forgives and throws all of your sins as far as the East is from the West, uh, you can move past that and move on with it and, and work through those hard times and those conflicts with your children and with your ex and that kind of thing and kind of work through it and find peace in it and just move on. Life goes on. You can't change the past. You know, it's gone. You can't so. can't move forward looking in the rearview mirror. Yeah, and, and you know, Scripture tells us that, that God, uh, the past is the past and it's gone and it's done and, and you can't change it, but you're forgiven. So God gives you all the present which is now, and he gives us all of the future, which is not just tomorrow, but all of the future as a believer. When did you know you were called to um, this Christian ministry, to do your music as part of a ministry? And a very special ministry, at least the part I know of you here in Birmingham, was a church. Um, it's been more than 20 years since the church at Brook Hill started, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. a lot of us were a part of that, and it was a very special time. And um it still is a place in my heart that I miss greatly. Yeah, well, it was a time and all of us who were attending that where God was moving in major, major ways yes. in a lot of people's lives. Uh, it, it was a season, and I don't know that we'll ever experience that again. But uh, I didn't really realize that I would be getting into ministry in that mm-hmm. way. My attitude of going to church was one of... I need to get my life in order. I need to find a church home. I need to be a spiritual leader for my house. I need this to rearrange my priorities and get my life in line and and straight. Slowly but surely, people that I didn't even know found out that I was in the music business and Mm -hmm. I could sing and I could play and I could contribute. So before I knew it, I had people going, hey, why don't you get in the praise band or why don't you start singing and, you know, do some solos and get in the, start singing on the praise team, do something, you know, use your talents, use your gifts. Well, my mentality back in those early days of getting back into the church life was the last thing I want to do is go to church and work. Right. So that, that was my attitude. And so I kept telling people, you know, hey, I, I, I'm coming here. I'm getting fed spiritually. I love it. This is what I do every day. I do this day in and day out, and I don't want to come to church and then go to work. Yeah. Well, God wouldn't leave me alone with <laughs> exactly. that. And, and, you know, <laughs> you know, He's kind of pushy about stuff yeah, like that. So, so you finally it's... wind up with, okay, God, you gave me this talent. I get it. I'm going to start volunteering my time and my talents. And and before I knew it, I was you know in the praise band, and I was singing on the praise team, and I was doing solos and part of the music ministry. And I wasn't in charge, but I was a volunteer and giving back uh, to God the gifts that He had given me. And that was a real learning experience for me as a believer. You know, I was saved at the age of eleven uh, and did okay for a couple of years, and then I just ran from the church. And if anybody 
would ask me about my relationship with, with Christ, I would just say, look, I've got my own, you know, you stay out of my business and I might even flip them off. You know I mean? It's just, <laughs> you know, it's just like, Hey, I've got my, leave me alone kind of thing. I don't want to hear your God stuff. You know, I've yeah. got my own relationship with God and slowly but surely he tore those walls down and, mm-hmm. and, and made my heart tender. It's pretty incredible, but that's the impact that, uh, that church had on many of us, yes. softening yeah. us a great deal. Well, it was such a learning experience yes. of outside. Uh, let's get outside of the denominational walls, exactly. the structure of yes. the rules and regulations mm-hmm. that denomination puts on us. You can't do this, and you can't do that, and you can only do this, and you can only wear this, and you can right. only act this way. And Christ came and gave his life for those laws so because we can't keep them right you know I, I tell people all the time you know when george uh, when judge uh, roy moore was fighting to keep the 10 commandments mm-hmm. in the lobby of the alabama you know courthouse i kept telling my my fellow believers look that's a, that's the wrong fight to fight because it doesn't matter if you have the Ten Commandments in the courthouse or you've got them in your front lawn or tattooed on your chest. You can't keep them. That's it right. doesn't make you a better person exactly. just because they're in the lobby of the courtroom. Right. It doesn't make you a better person. God is not interested in whether you've got Ten Commandments on your wall. He cares whether you've got the Ten Commandments in your heart. Exactly. And can you do it? Well, the answer obviously is no. We all are sinners. We all right. fall short of the glory of God. But we're all, as believers, forgiven of those things. Right. So now... Because of Christ's death, we have these laws, these rules. Love the Lord God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. If you can get those two things right, (laughs) more power to you. That's right. We'll be in business if we can do that. But in the midst of of all the good things that were um, a part of the ministry and the lives that, that you yourself changed, and I'll talk more about that in a minute, you were... I guess not backward by a word that none of us want to hear, and that's cancer. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So um, tell us about that journey. Well, I woke up one day and had a knot on the left side of my throat. And being a singer and speaker, I I was kind of concerned about that. So I immediately called, you know, ENT and set up an appointment. Mm -hmm. For 30 days, I met with a doctor, and he told me that I just had a swollen lymph node and take Advil four times a day and put a warm compress on it and come back and see me. Well, that's exactly what I did. So for 30 days, basically, I did nothing, and I watched this lump in my throat grow and harden, and I went back to the, to the doctor, and he said, let's just go in and cut it out. Whatever it is, let's go in and cut it out. He had done uh, what's called a fine needle biopsy. Mm-hmm. And that's like sticking a needle in your throat, folks. It's, uh, it's no fun. And drawing off fluid. Mm-hmm. And he said that the test had come back inconclusive. And, of course, I hadn't seen anything. And this was on a Monday. And on, on, I had surgery scheduled for Friday. And he said, I'm going to treat you as if I was treating myself. And let's just cut this thing out, whatever it is, and let's just be done with it. I said, okay. Wow. You know, I said, all right, that sounds good to me. So a dear friend of mine, bless his heart, called me and he said, uh, what's going on with your throat? And I told him and he said, well, 
before you let somebody cut on you, why don't you get a second opinion? Exactly. I thought to myself, what do I have to lose? He said, I'll set you up with an ENT friend of mine, and will you go if I make an appointment? I said, sure. Well, this is Monday, keep in mind. Right. So the next day, I had an appointment with a new doctor. Wow. He felt of it, and he initially thought that I had a thyroid problem. Mm-hmm. I said, well, isn't a thyroid like more in the center of your throat? And he said, well, it can manifest itself out into the lymph node. And he said, I just, let's just run some tests and be sure. And he said, I want you to have a um, head-to-neck scan, a, a throat scan, mm-hmm. a chest X-ray. Yeah. He said, while we're at it, let's just go ahead and do a barium swallow test where they check your esophagus and you mm-hmm. drink this chalk-like yeah. yuck mess. Mm-hmm. It's terrible. I said, okay, well, I've got a recording session in 20 minutes. When do you want to have this done? And he said, no, you, you don't understand. He said, I want you to do it right now. Wow. Well, that kind of threw up a red flag in the back of my head going, maybe he thinks... It's more than it is. And so I called the studio and said, I'm going to be here at the doctor's office. You cancel my session. So I went downstairs uh, in the hospital that I was in and four hours later came out after test. And he called me back the next day and he said, come to my office. I want to talk to you. That's usually not a good sign. It wasn't a good sign. And I walked in and he said, now tell me once again what this doctor told you. And I said, well, he told me he was going to treat me as if he was treating himself. And we were just going to cut it out regardless of what it is. And I've got that schedule for Friday. And he said, well, I've had all the information that he has put together on you faxed over to my office. And he handed me a sheet of paper and he said, I want you to read this and read this out loud. Mm -hmm. And I looked at it and saw my name at the top of the page. And it was a formal medical kind of chart. And at the bottom of the page, Fran, it said, this patient has squamous cell carcinoma. And that doctor never told you? No, he never told me that I had cancer. My new doctor that I was now seeing, he said, you have throat cancer. And I didn't even know what squamous cell carcinoma was. I never heard the term. I said, what does this mean? And he told me that that I had throat cancer. And I said, well, what what do we do now? I mean, I was stunned. I mean, you could have pushed me over with a feather. I I was like blown away. And the first thing that went into my mind is, all right, this can't be. Right. This can't be happening to me. I'm I'm a singer. I'm a speaker. I'm in kingdom work. I'm in ministry. I'm like, this can't can't be happening to me. And I said, what do I do next? He said, well, you're going to have to have, in my opinion, you're going to have to have radiation and chemotherapy. And he said, two, maybe three surgeries. Oh, my goodness. This is what I said, Fran. I said, is there not a pill that I can take that would make this go away? And he said, unfortunately not. And he said, you have two choices. You can either follow my advice or do nothing at all. And you'd be dead real soon. I said, all right. And uh, he sent me to meet my uh, radiologist. I had a mask made for doing radiation. I met my oncologist. Before I knew it, I was in treatment and... They were doing exploratory surgery, trying to find out the source of the cancer. And fortunately, the very first surgery, they found where it was. It was on the base of my tongue and it moved out to my lymph node. But it was all contained. Mm -hmm. So they knew that they could treat that tumor and shrink it and then take it out. Uh, That's what we did. I was stage four. I'm I'm a walking miracle. So having that and having great doctors and caregivers... Great support because 
you cannot do cancer alone. Right. You have to have support right. because you're already in it by yourself. Nobody can walk this journey except you. Mm-hmm. And it's wonderful to have God's army, for lack of a better term, around you, whether it's family, friends, church, whatever the case may be, to have people surround you and cook dinner and take you to radiation treatments and take you to chemo, Mm -hmm. go pick up your medicines, sit with you, just read the Bible, watch a movie, hang out. Just You have no idea how important that is. So if you know somebody who's going through cancer, love on them because they need it. So you came out of a popular music culture. You've moved forward with God and in Christ. So this happens. Mm -hmm. What is your first conversation with God. I can only imagine what mine would be. Well, It would not be good. You know, I left the doctor's office after those tests and finding out that I had throat cancer. And I, of course, was in tears and scared. Yeah. I didn't know whether I would live or die. I didn't know if I would ever talk or sing again after these surgeries and what would happen to my body. And, and there were just so many questions. And all of my friends would say, hey, get on the Internet and find out as much as you can about squamous cell and throat cancer. And, and you just stay on top of this. You know, make sure your doctor's doing the right thing. And I'm thinking, OK. So I got on the Internet one time mm-hmm. and it scared the crap out of me. Yeah. And then that's when I started realizing that God was in control. Mm-hmm. And I realized that. Through walking with a friend of mine two years prior to this who had esophageal cancer and ultimately died, God had taught me everything that I needed to know about cancer. Mm -hmm. And then I came to the realization about halfway through my treatment that if God healed me here on this earth, I was a winner. And if God didn't and he chose to take me home, I was going to be healed and I was going to be a winner. So I was in a win-win situation with cancer, and cancer could not own me. I began to live my life that way. Honestly, cancer is just the greatest thing that's ever happened to me from a spiritual standpoint. I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy, and I certainly don't want to ever go through it again, but it's absolutely one of the greatest things that's that's ever happened to me because it has brought me into a relationship with God that is so real because I see his hand at work on my life, both physically and mentally, to have a better understanding of who God is. You know, God is the one who allowed the cancer to happen to me. Mm -hmm. He's also the God that healed me of the disease. So just like Job, where Mm -hmm. God allowed Satan to come in and wipe him out, God blessed him. Exactly. You know, so regardless of your situation, blessed be the name of the Lord, because he's the one that fills the cup and he's the one that lets it spill. That's right. Wow. So how are you different now than you were? Are you kidding me? (laughs) Say just eight years ago when, you know, you you were already in ministry work. I was. You know, like I say, cancer has really changed me. Mm -hmm. It's changed my view of family, of business, of friendships, Mm -hmm. of life my spiritual journey, my relationship with God, my relationship with Christ, my relationship with the Holy Spirit. It has changed every facet of my life. Health standpoint, how I live, what I eat, 
<laughs> you know, <laughs> exercise. I mean, everything about me has changed. I can tell you that I believe that I have a better understanding of the fast pace that life really is. Life is like a vapor. Life is like a, you know, a whiff of smoke. I mean, it's here and gone. You know, when, when I look at just this year alone, I mean, we're almost halfway through it. Right. And it has flown by. Yes, it has. And the older I get, the faster time seems to go. And I believe that's a real phenomenon that God kind of, I don't know if it's a joke or what, but, he, <laughs> you know, it's like when you're younger, Christmas is forever away. And, right. And then it finally gets here. But now... Christmas seems like it's every other day. I mean, yeah. It just flies by. <laughs> exactly. So if, if, any, if I've learned anything, it's the pace of life and how fragile, mm-hmm. how fragile life is and yes. how quick it goes. So um, you've already kind of danced with death for a lack of a better phrase to describe it. Do you have stuff that's on your new bucket list? The only thing that brings me true joy and contentment mm-hmm. And I don't want this to sound all God talk or, you know, religiosity or whatever term you want to throw on it. But the only thing that really gives me true joy and contentment is my work for the kingdom. I love playing music in a band, and I love playing the piano, and I love singing, and I love doing the things that we do here with eavesdrop and big brains and the podcast and the recording industry. And I love life and I love my children and my family, but nothing, none of that brings as much joy to me and contentment as when I'm doing kingdom work, when I'm doing ministry work, when I'm talking with someone who is facing cancer, who is facing death or who has lost someone in a car accident or or cancer, you know, lost a child or you know, homeless person or whatever the case may be. I mean, when you're doing God's work, mm-hmm. it is the most fulfilling thing. I, I don't tell you that to pat myself on the back. It's just a fact. Right. I, it's I don't, very true. It, it, is, it really is true. I've yeah. done prison work. I, I went down to Angola and stayed there for several days and, and, and did prison ministry down there and fell in love with criminals who had done heinous crimes. Yes. I mean, horrible stuff. And I struggled with that a long time. Mm-hmm. You know, I said, God... I'm falling in love with a man who murdered his wife. I'm falling in love with a man who raped his own daughter. I'm falling in love with a man who, who literally took a, a, an ice pick and stabbed his four-year-old in the head. I mean, it just stuff that would just make you just cringe. Right. And you go, but I'm falling in love with this guy. I want to minister to this guy. I want right. to love on him and mm-hmm. show him the love of Christ, not the love of a Baptist or a Methodist right. or a, exactly. a you know, the love of Christ. Right. And I said to myself in prayer, I said, God, what about the victims? Mm-hmm. What, about the, what about the people who have lost the child, lost the wife, the mother, lost the brother, the family member who was devastated? What, what about those people? And God pointed out to me that he is a God so big that he can handle the healing and curing of the criminal at the same time that he can handle the healing and curing of the victim. Wow. When I saw that picture of grace, and I saw that picture of forgiveness, and that picture of mercy, and realized that there were three people at Golgotha. You know, you had, you had the two criminals and Christ. That's right. And one accepted Christ as mm-hmm. Savior, and one did not. 
Christ is big enough to cover all of that and to handle all of that. And he took on all the sin of the world for all of us, whether you're a victim or whether you're a criminal. And we're all guilty and we're all at our best like filthy rags, as it says. So who am I to judge? <laughs> yeah, I did prison work for a while at St. Clair Correctional. I uh, would go every weekend. And I found the same thing, that there were, so many were repentant of what they had done. Yeah, and they you were, just fall in love with them, don't you? Yeah, it's and crazy. they were trying to make good of, of what had happened. Yep. But um, as we close, I, just, I have to say my Mark Phillips bit here. Um, I remember, and I'm not trying to age you here, dear. <laughs> <laughs> but I remember when You Love Again came out, yeah. and I had my mom take me down to the Woolworths, so that ought to date me a little bit, oh, wow. <laughs> to get the record, and I still have that record. How cool. And that song is um, the first song I listened to at the end of my three infamous <laughs> engagements, and uh, I still listen to it periodically, uh, and it always meant a lot, but it took me a while at church to finally make the connection between that and I'm like, oh, that Mark that's Phillips, the that's the guy singing <laughs> in the worship team. That is so cool. And uh, I remember one Sunday, and I don't, I think my dad was sick, and uh, we just found out he had Alzheimer's. And I was walking in the church, and I walked in, and Mark was singing "Blessed Assurance," uh-huh. the most beautiful rendition I'd ever heard. And I just stood in the back of the church. And cried until you finished. Yeah. So you have blessed so many of us in many ways. So thank you, thank Mark, you. for that. And we appreciate you very much. And we appreciate y'all for listening to Eavesdrop. Make sure you uh subscri- hey, I want I want to do some plug-in before we get through. Okay. Go ahead and plug. I have uh two albums that are up and available on iTunes. Very cool. Uh, one is called Color Me His. Yes, excellent. And uh, the other one is a Christmas album called Sounds Like Christmas. And you can find me on iTunes, M-A-R-C, Mark Phillips with M-A-R-C. a C. And then I have a book that I've just finished called Pouring It Out on Me. And that's also available on iBooks and through CrestPublishers.com. Uh, so it's like Crest the Toothpaste, not <laughs> not publisher, but publishers, CrestPublishers.com. And that book is about my career, but the crux of it is about my journey through cancer. So if you want to learn more about that and, and how it all happened and things that I experienced, because things that we didn't get into, I truly believe that I had angels come to my back door. And that's that's for another another podcast, but we can talk about that as well. But God did amazing things through his army, once again, through my journey through cancer. And that's all in the book. So pouring it out on me at iBooks and CrestPublishers.com. And Fran, thank you for having me. Oh, well, thank you. Um, This is a real blessing and a pleasure for me to get to talk to you uh, and and interview you, which is really excellent. Ah. That's what I love to do. And we thank you for joining us for Eavesdrop today. Make sure that you subscribe to Eavesdrop at iTunes or BigBrainsMedia.com, or you can go to Stitcher.com. If you subscribe, um, it will be downloaded to you to the device of your choosing. Thanks so much for joining us this week. Have a wonderful week, and we'll see you back here on Eavesdrop. Thank you.